It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Saturday, October 21st, 2023. I'm Jessica Rosenthal. The speaker's fight drags on again. Jim Jordan is voted down, and after two weeks of infighting, the question remains, who or what can Republicans agree on? There is such a tone of desperation right now among House Republicans, the fact that we're going on, as of Tuesday, three weeks without having a House Speaker. The Biden administration says there's no direct evidence Iran knew of Hamas's planned attack on Israel. But either way, Iran's a big supporter of the group and other proxies that could pose a threat to our homeland. So Iran doesn't get to hide behind like standards of proof that would be applicable in a criminal prosecution. This isn't criminal law. This is intelligence assessment. This is the Fox News Rundown from Washington. After losing a third ballot in his run for speaker and after the conference voted against him continuing to run, Ohio Congressman Jim Jordan conceded. Well, it was, uh, I told the conference it was an honor to be their uh, speaker designee, but I felt it was important that we all, we all know the answer to the question if they wanted me to continue in that, uh, in that role. And so we put the question to him. They made a different decision. Uh, I told the conference that I appreciated getting to work with everyone, talk with everyone. I got to know members in our conference that I didn't really know that well over the last three weeks. And that uh, we, uh, we we need to come together and figure out who our speaker is going to be. I'm going to work as hard as I can to help that individual so that we can go help the American people. Former House Speaker Kevin McCarthy said quite bluntly, now more than two weeks without a speaker, that this was bad. We need to elect a speaker. This, this, no. this is chaotic. This is not the way things should be handled, as you know. While some, like Texas Congressman Chip Roy, have said this is how sausage gets made, the process is healthy and it's wrestling with big decisions. Another Texas Congressman, Dan Crenshaw, said the only problem is this isn't doing the work that people sent them to do. I want people to understand, too, sitting around a room up here arguing about who's the most popular, that's not working for the American people. I, I don't like it when people come on Fox and, and say, that's we got to get the work done. That's not work. I want to remind my fellow legislators that work up here is your committee work. It's legislating. It's writing bills. And so what you need is somebody in the chair who can bring bills to the floor. That's the actual work for the American people. Too many have forgotten that. What it may highlight even more than who Republicans can or can't get behind are the issues that divide them. Uh, I'm not surprised at this rate. As I always say, it's about the math, and the math simply never would work for Jim Jordan. Chad Program is Fox's chief congressional correspondent. Uh, he contended that he had more people coming his direction. Uh, there were points this week where he seemed desperate. I mean, that shows you his effort to try to get these votes, but he could not move the needle. Uh, the needle was moving. It was moving in the wrong direction for Jim Jordan because on each of those three roll call votes uh, over the past several days, he lost votes on each one. Uh, there was just no way to spin right. it. And the reason Republicans were upset at him is, A, they, they, some people saw him as this fellow from the Freedom Caucus, ultra conservative, too conservative for some. But the thing that they also didn't like was how he treated Steve Scalise. And some of his people said, oh, 
you know, we're only going to back Jim Jordan, even though Steve Scalise won last week. And then the Scalise people were expected by the Jordan people to automatically support Jordan. You know, what was good for the goose was not sauce for the gander there. And then third, uh, there were some pretty bad threats coming from people in the Jordan camp, uh, including, and I'm not talking by members necessarily, there was some of that, but, but people associated uh, with Jordan who, you know, threatened to kill mm-hmm. members, uh, threatened violence oh. against members of families. I mean, it's just, it was just off the chart, and that was a bridge too far. Oh, I would imagine. Um, okay, so, Chad, drama, drama to be continued, but if, if not McCarthy or Scalise or Jordan, right, everybody says then who? And I think I'm, I'm wondering, is that not the right question? Is who less important now than, than what? And who can make this sort of magical promise to deliver everything? Is it really about some issues, underlying issues? It probably would be if this was a conventional speaker's race, but there is such a tone of desperation right now among House Republicans, the fact that we're going on, as of Tuesday, three weeks without having a House speaker. And they realize they're going to have to fund the government in a month. They realize that this drama, this spiral of chaos is playing out in public right now. And Republicans, you know, they wanted to talk about cutting spending. They had all these plans to impeach Alejandro Mayorkas or go after Merrick Garland or President Biden. And all people are talking about is this interfamily fighting among Republicans. And it played out on the House floor in January. And as crazy as that was in January, 15 rounds, five days, electing Kevin McCarthy, that was the appetizer, mind you, the appetizer for the main course that we're being served right now. So, Chad, to that point, it was Chip Roy, after all of this on Friday afternoon, he said, you know, this is how the sausage gets made. It's better than having, you know, rules imposed upon you by, like, the Kremlin, um, which is a, a pretty much, a, a, <laughs> I guess, a dire comparison. But do Republicans feel like they agree with Chip Roy, like, look, this is just part of our process and it's okay and it's healthy? Or are Republicans sort of disappointed in themselves right now? Uh, there, there are some who, who certainly say, yeah, this is just how the sausage is made. And anytime you see the sausage being made, which we don't sometimes see, it's pretty gross, frankly. And so that's what we're seeing right now. Uh, but number two, <laughs> uh, there are some Republicans who are just like beside themselves that this is what they're dealing with. They are exasperated. Their staff is exasperated. Their constituents are exasperated. And you always have this this one group of people that says, oh, this is great. There's no speaker. Things aren't getting done. Great. Yeah, but that's not really the reality. I mean, this is the longest that we have not had a House speaker uh, since 1855 going into 1856, if that give, gives you any context. And, and it's also just the idea that you don't have somebody in charge. Um, the funny thing about it is, is that, uh, you know, a lot of members will tell you, Oh, that, you know, they want agency from leadership, but they kind of have to have somebody who's in charge. And Kevin McCarthy never really was in charge. Uh, That was his problem. There was never any question about who was in charge when Nancy Pelosi was the Speaker of the House. Okay, so, Chad, does this does this all increase the likelihood that Patrick McHenry of uh, of North Carolina becomes temporary speaker. I mean, they do they do want to move business along to your point, right, about that we're going to have a shutdown in less than a month here if we don't move business along. So is that their next, I guess, option? Are they going to consider that more seriously? Uh, I don't think they're quite there yet because they have to burn through this roster of candidates and they're coming out of the woodwork here, people who are either declared fully or people who are seriously considering a bid and kind of testing the waters. And you got to test them pretty quick in this environment, frankly. 
Uh, but if they get, say, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday next week and have not elected a speaker, uh, then you might start to hear this conversation about empowering Patrick McHenry, the acting uh, speaker pro tem, who basically was just on a list. I mean, this was by design here that Kevin McCarthy had made this list for continuity of government purposes. And without Kevin McCarthy uh, doing that, and th th you do this, this was you know part of a post 9-11 statute that you have somebody so the House would still have somebody in charge. And some people think he has the power right, right. now to do things, but he, he really doesn't. I mean, you know, we've not been hit by a terrorist attack and they didn't kill 400 members of Congress, including the speaker. So you need somebody like this. No, that's not what happened. You have a bunch of people who can't decide on who their speaker is. Uh, and, and you have a former speaker who is alive and well and, and might return, depending on who you talk to. Now, so what they could do if they get down this train track a little further, let's say another week or more, they might turn around and say, this is the only option. And you might have some Democrats and some Republicans get together and elect, vote on giving Patrick McHenry these powers. And here's how it works. This is not unprecedented. It's rare. It's extremely rare. But they would elect McHenry or somebody else, if he doesn't want the job, the Speaker pro tem, and give them the power and get the House of Representatives back to action. Uh, they did this in 1961 when Sam Rayburn was the speaker and fell ill, and he was on his deathbed, went back home to Texas. And John McCormick from Massachusetts, who later was elected as the regular speaker, uh, he was elected the speaker pro tem. And they were out for several months that fall. Uh, I think after about September, they didn't uh, reconvene, reconvene until January. But they passed major legislation during that period, including a bill, this was JFK's creation, of the, um, uh, of the Peace Corps. So, you know, the, the precedent of doing this is there. Uh, so it's just a question of whether or not they, they, they want to empower McHenry or somebody else in that role. Right. Fascinating. Okay, last one for you, Chad. The, the, the president's speech this past week, he's urging Congress to consider aid, not just to Israel, but also to Ukraine. Um, Different Congress members had different reactions, but they nothing can pass, right? Nothing, they not only can't pass anything, but they're, they're they seem sort of frustrated with the messaging about linking Ukraine aid to Israel aid. What, what's your sense, or was there even a sense? Because really, the the, the speaker's vote is taking all, up all the oxygen out of the room. That has blotted out everything, but. Uh, generally, among House Republicans in particular, they don't like bundling these things together. Uh, there is more opposition for Ukraine aid uh, among Republicans than there is for Democrats. I mean, they passed this kind of people forgot about this in late Mar late uh, September. There was a bill that they passed with more than 300 votes, uh, 311 votes uh, for Ukraine aid. Now, it was a, a smallish bit of aid for Ukraine, that said. Uh, but there was, a, you know, the fact that you get 300 votes for something in the House that shows wide bipartisan support. And uh, there were more Republicans who opposed that than uh, than who voted for it. But they did pass that. And there's more support for Ukraine aid in the Senate. Uh, and so just the fact that they're going to meld these things together in the Senate. Chuck Schumer, the majority leader, has said, I'm going to pass it over here because we can. They will, frankly, and then jam the House. And the House is really not going to be able to have any say whatsoever. Uh, they're going to have to take this or leave it. And what they'll probably do, frankly, Jessica, is they will attach the government funding bill to all this. This will be one gigantic train coming mm -hmm. down the track. 
and that new speaker or speaker pro tem is going to have to just eat it. I mean, it's that simple. And, and you talk about how bad the sausage uh, being made and how gross it is uh, in this process. Uh, get your tums for that one. Uh, Fox's congress- chief congressional correspondent, Chad Pergram, thank you so much. My pleasure. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in free-fall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. After Hamas attacked Israel, Biden administration officials said while Iran supplies and supports Hamas as it's one of the country's proxies, there was no direct evidence showing Iranians directed or planned this particular attack. And that hasn't changed, even as Iran's foreign minister warned early in the week that they would take preemptive action against Israel within hours. The next day, officials out of Iran's embassy in Syria tweeted in Hebrew, time is up. Meanwhile, there have been attacks against U.S. assets. And while I'm on the topic of threats, let me provide an update on the reports of several drone attacks against U.S. facilities in Iraq and Syria. Pentagon spokesman Brigadier General Pat Ryan said they shot down three missiles aimed north toward Israel off the coast of Yemen as well. Just before all of this, FBI Director Christopher Wray said at the International Association of Chiefs of Police Conference in San Diego. In this heightened environment, there's no question we're seeing an increase in reported threats, and we've got to be on the lookout, especially for loan actors who may take inspiration from recent events to commit violence of their own. Now, along the border, people called special interest aliens have been entering the country by the thousands from Egypt, Turkey, Iraq, Syria, Lebanon, and Iran over the past two years. And you can't overstate how concerned border officials are at the number of migrants that are coming from countries with ties to terrorism. And Fox News confirming that since the fiscal year began, October 1st, more than 16,000 known gotaways entered. Fox News correspondent Griff Jenkins was reporting from Eagle Pass, Texas this past week when the the House was supposed to hold a hearing to examine the Iranian regime's threats to homeland security. The hearing was canceled and will likely be pushed into next week. When we think about the threat that Iran poses, it's tempting to think that the threat is somehow confined to the Middle East. Nathan Seals is former ambassador at large and coordinator for counterterrorism and was scheduled to testify before the House. That's really not the case. Iran is a global threat. They have terror proxies active all across the world, even here in the United States. That's something that's very important to understand. The Iranian threat, the terrorist threat, extends even to the United States. Right now, as we speak, the Islamic Republic is actively plotting to assassinate a number of former senior U.S. government officials, including John Bolton, including Mike Pompeo. A couple of years ago, they tried to kidnap and then assassinate a celebrated Iranian-American human rights activist by the name of Masih Alinejad. Looking a little further back in the previous decade during the Obama administration, 
they concocted, the Iranians concocted an elaborate scheme to assassinate the Saudi ambassador to the United States by bombing a popular restaurant in Washington, D.C.'s Georgetown neighborhood. And if that had been successful, we're not just talking about one dead diplomat. You know, the, the civilian casualties could have been astronomical. Iran was aware of that risk and they were fine with it. So when you mm. talk about Iran as a malign force in the world, it's not just an abstraction for Americans. This is something that is very much a real and concrete threat here in the homeland. To that end, the FBI director said this past week, you know, there's no credible specific threat, but there's a general increase in threats due to the heightened environment since Hamas attacked Israel. And he called for police and law enforcement to just be more vigilant. But is that a, hey, we're just getting a lot of email and phone call threats reported to us, but we don't have anyone you know, undercover who found someone willing to carry out an attack type thing. Is that where he's at with, with that, with telling us that? I think Director Ray is being prudent. Uh, we, we know that in the aftermath of terrorist attacks, you'll often see an uptick in copycat attacks, particularly when the terrorism has targeted Israeli or Jewish interests, as was the case with the Hamas attack, the catastrophic Hamas attack on Israel. In the wake of incidents like that, you will sometimes see terrorism or hate crimes or harassment directed at Jewish communities around the world. You know, yeah. we're seeing reports of synagogues being burned down in places like Tunisia and, and elsewhere uh, abroad. I, I don't have any reason to think that roving anti-Semitic mobs are going to torch synagogues in the United States. But you know what? It's it's probably safer uh, to have some police protection. It's probably safer to be vigilant uh, and be in a position to anticipate any threats that might be coming down the pike. And I have to say, it's it's really a terrible thing uh, for America, this beacon of religious freedom, this beacon of liberty, that the Jewish citizens now have to look over their shoulder and worry about anti-Semitic mobs of the sort that we've seen whipped up on college campuses. You know, it only takes a little bit of pushing for them to go from harassing speech into actually acting out in, into violent activity. And so I think what the FBI director was getting at is let's be prudent. Let's be cautious to make sure that those lines don't get crossed. Hmm. How much of a threat to the homeland is the border. And I'm not talking about politics. I'm talking about just the sheer volume of people who've come in on its face, knowing special interest aliens, including hundreds of Iranians and people from the Middle East, thousands of people from the Middle East have been apprehended at the border. Uh, when you see the numbers of people and you see those numbers of people uh, whose names are on the, uh, the FBI's terrorist watch list, how big a threat to the homeland is that? I think the risk at the border is a substantial one. We may not be able to quantify it in concrete terms, but we have to assume that terrorists are aware of vulnerabilities in our southern border and will look for ways to exploit those vulnerabilities. And, and actually, th this isn't just a hypothetical. In a couple of those Iranian terror plots, the assassination plots, they were actually trying to exploit vulnerabilities in our southern border. The plot against Bolton, um, the, the plot against Masi Alinejad, you know, th those schemes... Uh, involved Iran attempting to work with Mexican drug cartels, they could try it again. Other terrorists could try that kind of move again. Right. And when you look at the numbers, you know, you mentioned the, the dramatic spike in overall encounters with illegal immigrants crossing the southern border. We can actually drill down more precisely and look at what kinds of encounters there have been with suspected terrorists. 
So the number of suspected terrorists, watchlisted individuals who've been apprehended crossing the southern border has exploded in the past two and a half years. Back in 2019, the number was zero. 2020, the number was three. And then over the past three years, the number has spiked up to, I think it was 154 in the fiscal year that just ended, uh, fiscal year 2023. How many of those folks were coming here to carry out an attack? We don't know. But I'd rather the number be zero than 154. And the other thing to keep in mind is the 154, those are just the ones we know about. Those are just the ones that were actually caught. That's how many others were concerned. able to enter the country? Let me just finish that thought. How many others were able to enter the country undetected? Yeah, that that I think that was the big concern is this notion of known gotaways is in the hundreds of thousands. I think it's over one and a half million since the president took office. So I think that right there, the unknown is what's more scary than the ones we caught. Right. Let me ask you about Iran itself. I know our intelligence agencies, I know the president, I know the, the administration says there's no direct evidence linking Iran to coordinating this attack that Hamas conducted in Israel. But this this past week, Iran's foreign minister said the possibility of preemptive action by the resistance axis is expected in the coming hours. It didn't materialize, but I don't know what the coming hours means. And then there, there was a, a, a post from the Iranian embassy in Syria. They wrote, time is up in Hebrew. It sounds like even if there's no direct evidence, they're certainly trying to proffer direct evidence now. Well, that's exactly right. But the question whether Iran, you know, planned or plotted or directed or ordered the October 7th attack, I mean, that's all hair splitting. It doesn't really matter what, what the precise role was that Iran played, because we know what its overall role was. And Iran has been trying to encircle Israel with terror proxies for years. In the north, you've got Hezbollah. In the east, in, in Syria, you have Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps officers there, as well as Hezbollah in the south, in Gaza, you've got Hamas. Iran has been funding and training and equipping groups like this with literally hundreds of millions of dollars a year. Why? Precisely to enable it with the capabilities to carry out terrorist attacks, atrocities of the sort that we saw on October 7th. So Iran doesn't get to hide behind like standards of proof that would be applicable in a criminal prosecution. This isn't criminal law. This is intelligence assessment. And undeniably, Iran wanted an attack like this. It enabled an attack like this. It is celebrating this attack. It is saying that this attack is advancing its strategic interests. We don't need more to hold Iran accountable. We can simply take them at their word. What do you make then of what we're what we're seeing? I guess uh, the the USS Carney in the Red Sea knocking down Houthi missiles, um, Hezbollah doing these sort of, I guess, sporadic attacks. I think the president of Iran said this week that they wanted to attack from all sides. I, I know the president has spoken a few times this past week. He didn't really mention Iran that much, except to say that Iran supports Hamas and Iran supports Russia. But when you look at this big picture here and you see what Iran is doing and the, the president and this administration is sort of, I, I don't know what the word choice is, like not really talking about Iran. What should we make of that? What should we make of the president and the administration sort of not really addressing Iran in that way. 
Yeah, it's deeply disappointing. And I think it speaks to the administration's strategic confusion in the Middle East. Look, Iran is the elephant in the room. They are the malign force. Let me be more precise. The Islamic Republic, the regime, not the Iranian people, the regime is the malign force behind so much of the violence in the Middle East and around the world that we're concerned about. I mean, these guys are selling drones to Russia to be used in attacks on civilians in Ukraine. You know, if, if you see a hot spot around the world, chances are that Iran's fingerprints are all over it. And this administration has pursued from day one a policy of accommodation and appeasement. They are so fixated on getting into a renewed nuclear deal that they've been prepared to hold their nose on a full range of Iranian bad behavior. And it hasn't worked. Today, two and a half years into the president's term, Iran is stronger by every measure than it was on January 20th of 2021. They've enriched uranium to the point that they're close to having enough for a nuclear weapon that has dramatically increased in this president's term. They now have sold about $80 billion worth of oil, much of it going to communist China. The money coming in is going to buy a lot of bombs and a lot of guns for their terrorist proxies. Just the past couple of days, they have launched attacks at American soldiers in Iraq, in Syria. You mentioned um, off the coast of Yemen. Iran is testing us. And the reason they're testing us is because they perceive weakness. And when America is seen as weak, when America is seen as in appeasement mode, that is provocative to our enemies, and they will try to take advantage of perceived weakness. Is it enough what we're doing in terms of sending, you know, carrier strike groups and F-16s and, or, you know, batting down missiles in the Red Sea? I mean, is that, sh- I mean, the, the administration is saying that's a show of force, that a show of force meant to deter. Are these shows of, of force that are meant to deter sufficient? Well, it certainly doesn't look like Iran is deterred. You know, last week, there was an Iranian backed proxy that committed an attack on a U.S. military base in Iraq. Sadly, as a result of that attack, a U.S. civilian contractor lost his life. Iran is killing Americans. It doesn't look like they're deterred. And if the administration doesn't respond forcefully to put an end to this kind of acting out, I'm afraid we're only going to see more of it. Um, Finally, Nathan, I just want your thoughts on how this was missed. Um, and I, I was reading a piece the other day um, that Iran's proxies work work together now very well. They put aside their differences to be part of what they call the axis of resistance. And this was sort of linked in this article I read to Israel's failure to detect this um, and to understand what Hamas might be up to next. And the article quotes uh, Israel's National Security Council chairman, saying, you know, we thought Hamas learned a lesson two years ago in 2021. But what really happened is that Islamic Jihad picked up the pace for Hamas. Islamic Jihad took over some of the attacks and Hamas was busy probably planning this one. Um, What's your sense of the region and how this how this was missed by Israeli intelligence, Israeli officials as we look back at sort of Iran's proxies? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think um Israel's going to have to have some some hard conversations in their security and intelligence establishment. There's got to be accountability. People who missed an attack like this 
Um, we need to know why so that it can never happen again. And also, you know, the United States is supposed to be a global superpower. Our intelligence community has capabilities and resources that are unmatched on the face of the planet. How did we miss it? Um, I, we, so the United States has some soul searching to do as well. This should not have come as a surprise. Hamas has been very clear from its origins in the 1980s what its goals are. Its genocidal goal is to wipe Israel off the face of the map, to have a Palestinian state from the river to the sea, which means from the Jordan River to the Mediterranean, which means they fundamentally reject the right of Israel to exist at all or of Jews to live in that territory at all. We got duped, I think, is the short answer. Over the past couple of years, Hamas led Western observers and maybe led Israeli observers as well into thinking that they had shifted into a sort of pragmatic mode where they were more interested in governing in, 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 in Gaza uh, than in continuing their genocidal aspirations. Obviously, those illusions evaporated um, in the wake of the attack on October 7th. What happens going forward? Israel has to make sure that it's never caught with its pants down again like that. And the U.S. intelligence community needs to make sure that, that we have full visibility as well. Former ambassador at large and coordinator for counterterrorism, Nathan Seals, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me on. That'll do it for this edition of the Fox News Rundown from Washington. Tomorrow, we'll take a deeper look at the president's trip to Israel this past week, as well as campaign fundraising in the 2024 race for president. I'm Jessica Rosenthal. Thanks for listening to the Fox News Rundown from Washington. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts Plus on Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on Amazon Music. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. The Will Cain Show is now dropping five episodes a week. Join Fox & Friends weekend host Will Cain as he tackles the latest headlines from his unique perspective, along with thought-provoking interviews with leading figures and live calls from viewers and listeners. Listen wherever you download your favorite podcasts.